All right, so here we go into 2018. Is that weird for anybody? Right? I remember when I, I thought 2001 was a big deal. And uh, it's really kind of gone fast. Uh, what's nice about the beginning of a year is you could remeasure. All right? Um, if you had a great 217, you know what you did well. You probably broke through some things that you hadn't before. And you're rolling into 218 with some momentum. You're going, yeah, this, I've got it. I'm tracking. Uh, if you've had a lousy 217, what's nice is you can recalibrate. Okay? You can restart over. You can go, you know what? There were some things I really didn't do the way I wanted them to do for the Lord, for the kingdom. And uh, I, I want to be able to do that. And so you can stop, pause, hit the reset button and put some of those things back in place. One of them would be, uh, as uh, uh, Rob mentioned, reading through the Bible. We put a high priority on that. We have four different ways that you can read through the Bible. And, uh, and so if you want to join us, we would love to. Some had great success this year. I'm hoping one friend will give a testimony next week um, uh, about success that they had that they've never had before in their life to encourage us in that. But uh, there's something about being in the Word and letting the Word shape you that's really important. When we come to this morning, so we've talked about the realm of heaven, the realm of earth, the realm of the spirit world, the realm of the Savior. We're going to wrap up uh, with the realm of the kingdom. The kingdom is a topic that um, shows up quite often. And... Uh, it's a topic that Jesus spent a lot of, uh, of conversation on. In Luke chapter 1, it says, Of his kingdom, Gabriel, remember, was talking to Mary and said, Of his kingdom, there will be no end. The kingdom of God is one of the most thought about, talked about, hoped for ideas in all of history. If you just think through your own journey with it, it's quite a deal. It is one of the most loved ideas. It is also one of the most disdained ideas. And it's also one of the most feared ideas. Why? Well, if there's a real kingdom of heaven, then there's also a real kingdom of hell. More than that, there is something that is more fearful in the minds, of, in the minds and hearts of people. And that's this. The fear of a final judgment. It's one thing to talk about a kingdom. It's another thing entirely to meet the king and to be judged by that king under his rules, in his court, and by his authority. We'll talk about that a little more in just a minute. But going back to the kingdom of God, it has always been thought of or understood that God's kingdom is in heaven. Where do we get that idea from? Well, a lot of places, just cherry-picking here in a couple places. Uh, Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. The other thing that we know about this kingdom is that it is everlasting. In Psalm 145, verses 12 and 13, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. And so we get this idea of this incredible kingdom that has presence. Where do we get the idea most clearly that uh, God is in heaven? Uh, probably comes from the Lord's Prayer, right? Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, I'm old school. I use the old phrase there, right? 
I like it. That's how I remember it. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who dwells in heaven. That's where we understand Him to be. The idea here is that heaven is God's place. This is where He dwells. It's distinct and different from where man dwells. We usually think of heaven as up, right? Uh, when the disciples were talking to Jesus, it says He was taken up in a cloud. And so you would look up. And we often think of heaven as up in relationship to ourselves. But we also realize, because of all the movies and things that we watch these days, that it could just as easily be another dimension. In that, God has access to our place. We don't have access to His. And this would be insanely maddening if it weren't for Jesus. Because Jesus provides that connection that we are otherwise missing. In Isaiah 9, it says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's talking about God planting a kingdom, one that's going to take root, one that's going to grow, one that's going to have a government, one that he's going to rule over, and one that's going to last forevermore, and that it will be the zeal of God that will do this. We just celebrated uh, the anniversary of his birth, that being Jesus Christmas, of course. I'm still uh, reveling in the Christmas Eve service. It was a marvelous deal you didn't have a chance to be here, but there was just a sense of reverence that uh, is still with me. And joy to the world is the idea of a rescue mission unfolding. Joy to the world means there's good news. Good news. News that you can get out of the traps that you're in, that you and I can escape the things that try to cling to us, that we can break free from it, not only us, but others as well. It's still good news to this world, even if they don't act like it is. And it's also a Savior being revealed that we have to respond to. And of a kingdom that's being inaugurated or proclaimed. We are familiar with inaugurations. We, in our country, have a presidential election every four years. And on January 20th, a president is inaugurated. And... um, Jesus was very clear that he was on a mission to proclaim access and entry into his Father's kingdom through him. Now, when we have political candidates, a candidate proclaims himself or herself as a candidate in their opening speeches. And their opening speeches are seen as very important. You can go back through all the presidential elections and look at the opening statements that they made when they declared their candidacy and see that there was actually a theme that began there and then ran all the way through uh, the candidating process for, for in this case, what we're talking about being president, but also be true of governors or senators or congressmen. And when a candidate proclaims him or herself as a candidate, um, the messaging, in their messaging, they message their intent and they set the tone for the rest of their candidacy. So they're proclaiming what they're about. What then, and assuming that would be true of Jesus as well, what were Jesus' opening declarations 
of this kingdom. Let's take a look at what he said. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus announced the kingdom, he said, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. So this is when he began speaking, right? Literally walked around and began to talk and, and speak. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was announcing something was transpiring that was new, that was different. The kingdom of heaven is in. And as a result, we should repent. When you become aware of the kingdom, you turn from your own ways and turn towards the ways of the kingdom. It's always important to recognize when Scripture repeats something that God didn't just run out of words, right? Or he was a little bored or he couldn't think of anything because it was Wednesday, so he just repeated it a couple of times. That's not what's going on. As a parent, what do you repeat? Really important stuff. And the less they listen, the more you repeat. Right? Okay? God's a good parent. He repeats a lot. Nine-tenths of church, if you think about it, is reminding us of stuff we already know. Right? Why? Because we forget. And we have to be recalibrated. So when God repeats things, it's really important. In Mark chapter 1, it says, Now after John was arrested, it kind of gives us a time. We know that John came out proclaiming a gospel of repentance. People flocked to him. He was the rock star of his day. And then Jesus showed up and he goes, Whoa, I, no, 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 no. I, I'm not baptized. You should, I, you should be baptized. Me. And Jesus said, Let it fulfill, be to, so we can fulfill Scripture. But then after that, John was arrested and Jesus began his ministry here he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, believe that Jesus is who he claimed he is, believe that he came to open the way to heaven and to put our faith in him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a very different message. That's not what you'd normally expect, right? That's not... How you, you know, someone doesn't come. They want to change this world. Jesus comes announcing a different world and saying, I'm providing the access to that one. But this message calls for a change of direction or a change of thinking, a change of allegiance, or maybe even more importantly, a change of heart. And probably when you run into that game, all those kind of come together uh, in one set. It's an inner reorientation that resets the compass, the direction and the purpose of one's life, of our lives. When we get anchored into this new kingdom, it's a powerful and it's a vast kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. So one of the questions is this. Where is it? Where is it? Where is this kingdom of God? Where does this kingdom exist? How is it observed? And on this point, we need to be careful because we may look with the same human eyes that others are looking and go, I just don't see it happening. Or you may be really discouraged uh, coming into 218 going, I just don't see God winning. I don't see where the kingdom is. I can't seem to find it in my neighborhood or the people around me. But I want to suggest to you the kingdom is not what we think. In Luke 17, he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. 
And he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is. Or, No, 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 it's over there. It says, Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Another translation says, The kingdom of God is within you. It's internal. We always want God to work from the outside in. You know, clean the outside up, just keep moving, and, and hopefully you won't get to this stuff. And God goes, no, that's not how it works. I'm going to start from the inside out. And those of us who resist that really struggle with this thing called Christianity, this relationship with Jesus. Because it's not, we're not allowed the control that we want to have. Because Jesus destroys that control and he comes in and blows the kingdom up inside of us and apart. But we want to have him come from the outside so we can hold on to that. And so there's a power battle. You can see this in the New Testament. Just think through what you know. Listen to these names. Pilate, Herod, the Pharisees, and the rich young ruler all miss this. What did all those, that group of people want? They wanted Jesus to answer their questions according to how they saw it was lined up. They did not want to come on his terms. On the other hand, and and something else I missed here, they were all looking for something external, right? Something that um, they could join or manipulate for their own gain without having to change internally. But listen to this other list. Think through the list. Think the people you know. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, the man born blind, the thief on the cross, eventually Nicodemus, and most famously, Paul. What do they all have in common? It was an internal change. They got blown up. Right? The woman at the well got blown up. Zacchaeus got blown up. Right? Paul got blown up, literally got knocked off his horse. They... They had an internal change, a submission of the heart. That was what Jesus was really talking about in the first place. It was about an exchange of kingdoms, theirs for his, and that's what he was challenging them to. And that's what the church has always been challenging. You know why a lot of people don't like church today? Oh, they'll say it's stodgy and they'll say, yeah, da, da, all these things, it's not real. You know really what they don't like? They don't like that they have to give up control. And they know coming to Jesus is going to force that issue. If they come to church, they'll hear about it. And then they'll have to deal with it. It's just a lot better to stay away from church. I understand that strategy. makes a lot of sense to me. The only thing they've underestimated is you can't box the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not contained by this building. Right? He's out everywhere, all through Mill Creek, talking to people. And we need to be looking for who he's having a conversation with. But when you deal with that second group, it was a surrender, a yielding to authority, Jesus' authority specifically, that he, Jesus, was looking for. How is this conversation described in the Bible? Well, there's a number of places. I'll just pick one here. Um, this issue of conversion. First John says this, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son 
has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The testimony is that eternal life is in the Son, in Jesus. To believe the Son is to believe God. To not believe the Son is to call God a liar. We don't often, we wouldn't draw it that way, right? That's not how we would put it, but that's how Scripture puts it. If we have the Son, we have life, but if we don't have the Son, if we don't um, believe in the Son, then we are calling God a liar. Why? Because we're saying He's not really your representative or ambassador that you sent. He's not really the Messiah. There are other ways that we can get there. Uh, and you can see them on bumper stickers on our cars all over town, right? Um, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Let's, let's take it with Jesus' words when he talks about uh, this issue of conversion and this issue of the kingdom. Okay. Jesus, uh, in John 3, am I on the right place there? Yeah, John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, he was talking to Nicodemus at this point, he said, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on to say a little further, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Two births are described here. One birth is the natural birth, human birth. Uh, we've all had that. If you're here this morning, that happened, right? You had a mom and you were born and you came out, we would say her water broke. It was a birth by water, Right? That's how you arrived. That's how you got here. That's why you're here, is because you had a mom that gave you birth. And so all of us, whether we remember that event or not, had that event. Right? Okay. But Jesus isn't talking about the second birth. The other birth is a supernatural birth. By the Spirit. It says by the Holy Spirit. It's a work in act of God. What Scripture is saying here is that you need to have both births to have eternal life. Birth by water, if you're sitting here and breathing this morning, you qualify. Okay? But then also, birth by the Spirit. Born again, brought alive, just as you were born humanly, born into the kingdom. Jesus being born in your spirit. Being saved is another way we call it. Saved from our sins. A supernatural birth. What Scripture is saying is both of these births are necessary. What you saw demonstrated today, we saw it with Joe this morning, then we'll see it with Tanya in the second service. You saw both uh, testimonies. Um, was an outward declaration of the inward birth of the Spirit. What both of them are saying is, I came to know God. God changed my life. I at one point did not really know Him. And then I came to a place where I knew Him. And I have to confess it. Uh, both stories vastly different, okay? Uh, I, I'm sure you could see the difference, right? Uh, Joe being brought up in a Christian home and a uh, great family and they're all hanging out over here and uh, Eagle Scout and doing things the right way. Uh, God can find people who are doing things the right way. And Tanya from a very broken background. God can find people in a very broken background too. It is that kind of thing that 
we are supporting and, and want to encourage and we hope God brings us many more. It's a dying to self and a coming alive to Jesus and His kingdom. It's not just, I keep doing the stuff I always do. I come alive now to His kingdom. What's Jesus want to do? What's Jesus about? What does He want me to do? How does He want me to serve Him? Are all really valid questions at that point. A surrender to the process to become more like Jesus through the regenerating and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. A lot like marriage. Right? Uh, those of us who have been married, you one time stood on an altar and professed your love for the other person. That's a, an act of submission. Most of us got that part pretty good, right? Uh, people wrote eloquent words, we repeated the eloquent words, and we sounded better than we really were, right? Okay. And then, after that act of submission, we had a process of submission called marriage. You have wedding, which is an act, you have marriage, which is a process. Most of us get the act down really good. It's the process that messes us up. Right? Likewise, with the kingdom of God, we are aware of the praying and coming in and crashing into the kingdom and I need to be saved for it. That's an act of surrender. Followed by this whole process of sanctification, which is the process of making me like Jesus. That's a little messier. Anybody notice that? Okay? Yes? Thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. All right? But you do have to start somewhere. Okay? Messy or not, you, there's a place you've got to walk in the door. You've got to step in. You've got to say yes to Jesus. I agree you're king. I'm not. There can only be one king. You make a great you, you make a lousy Jesus. All right? And when we finally figure that out, then we can actually respond in a right heart kind of way. Then Colossians says this, when that happens, we're blessed and called to participate in this kingdom. As we come into 2.18, that's what we're setting our sights on. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, Colossians 1 says, and transferred us to the kingdom of God. It's a transaction. It's a legal transaction, just like an attorney. Um, uh, Pam's mom just passed. And Pam was power of attorney, and then her brother Rich was um, power, executor of the estate. And so we had to hire an attorney that made things official, that actually transferred things from the realm of Maryland to the realm of Rich and Pam. Right? And any of you who've gone through that know what that's like. That's the exact same kind of language that's being used here legally transferred from one kingdom to another, to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as we come into 2.18, the question is, well, what are we aiming at? What are we about? Here's what we're aiming at. We are kingdom people. We are people who've been rescued and saved by Jesus. Now, if you're here and that hasn't happened yet, you're welcome. Join us because we're hoping God recruits a lot more people. A lot more people. There are thousands and thousands of people in Mill Creek who used to go to church. Okay? They got to repent. They got to turn that around. And God may use you to help someone in that process. We are people of the kingdom, by the kingdom, and for the kingdom. We are about the kingdom. Yes, I borrowed those phrases in case you recognize them. But this is a new year, once again, by His amazing grace, 
gives us a chance to recalibrate and reorient ourselves to come under and line up with His mission, His goals, and His purposes. We want to be a kingdom-oriented church under the authority of Jesus. Gathered together in obedience, scattered together in obedience. The church united for fellowship, the church scattered for evangelism. That we would be out in our neighborhoods. And wouldn't it be an awesome goal to just say, Lord, this year, or maybe let's not even make it a year. Lord, between now and Easter, could I have the privilege of participating in leading someone into your kingdom? I know it's you. I know you're doing it. I know it's the work of your spirit. But could I get in on it? Could I have the privilege of leading somebody to you by Easter? What if each of us led one person to Christ in the next three to four months? How many baptisms would we have on Easter? We wouldn't be able to do them all. We wouldn't be able to hold them in here. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes your part. Would you be willing to be that person? And if you say yes, then you're participating in the kingdom. What's that all about? Well, thy will be done on earth, the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're a kingdom person, you want to be obedient on earth just like you would be if you were in heaven. And that's the kind of church that has God's blessing. That's the kind of church that has His favor is the ones that say, we are about your kingdom. You shuffle the deck any way you want. Rearrange the chairs any way you want. Lead us wherever you want. And we'll cooperate. That finds great favor with God. And my hope is that, uh, first of all, I know that's true of most of us. But my hope is that we will see God do something in 218 that will be a great joy, not only for us, great celebration, but a great celebration for Him. If one is saved, it says the angels in heaven rejoice. I'd like to be able to help kick off that party, wouldn't you? Let's pray. Father, as we've wrapped this up, it's been a good series. Looking at these different aspects and we bring it all together, we realize they really aren't separate at all. You're the Lord of heaven. You're the Lord of earth. You're the Lord of the spirit world. You came as Lord. And it's your kingdom, Father, that we're talking about. Lord, we know the need is great. And we know that there are many hurt, wounded, they've had bad church experiences, uh, they've had bad family experiences, they've had their hopes dashed, their dreams dashed. Uh, They're all, uh, Lord, hundreds of them walk just past this door right across to Elevated Sports every week. We're asking for a harvest. We're asking that you would help us become fishers of men and harvesters for the kingdom. And we pray, Lord, for 218 to be a bumper crop. We ask that we would see salvations like we've never seen before. And we ask for your help and your favor to be single-minded towards this. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand again.